This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. In 2008, a podcast was created with one goal. To bring Bat fans around the world news related to movies, comics, video games, television, merchandise, and so much more. And now, the Batman Universe Podcast has returned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the TBU Podcast. Dustin and BJ and Scott are with me today, and Today we are talking about, well, we're going back to the Batman, that awesome well that just keeps giving. Um, We are talking about the recently released The Art of the Batman. This book came out from Abram Books on April 19th. Um, I I actually wanted to review this uh, soon after it came out. I was actually hoping that uh, we were going to be able to get an advanced copy so that we could release this closer to when it released. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, and we had to go the route of getting the book like everybody else. And uh, because of that, it took a little bit of time to read the book. And then, as we all know, because of the lack of episodes the last couple weeks, I was out of town for two weeks. So that made it also impossible to do this sooner. But I figured the first episode after we're back, we are going to talk about this. And we've got some other plans for the month as well, including our next TBU Ranks episode where we'll be ranking the Riddlers that'll come later this month. Um, And we've got a bunch of other stuff uh, that we're going to be doing as well. So that being said, today we are talking about the art of the Batman. And this is a pretty extensive book looking at the entire production of the the Batman film um, that obviously just released. The book itself has a foreword by Matt Reeves. It's actually written by James Field. Um, and he, he basically is compiling a lot of the information, but sharing a lot of the information that kind of like fills in the gap of what exactly some of this stuff is, you know, the, the thought process behind some of the designers and what they came up with and things like that. It's, it's an extremely in-depth look. Um, the book itself is separated into various sections, specifically focusing on the main characters uh, more so than anything else. Uh, the the very beginning is kind of the extensive look at Batman, the Batcave, the vehicles, a lot of the gadgets that he uses, and a ton of other ones that he doesn't even use in the film that maybe someday we will end up seeing in a future film. Um, there's a bunch of stuff here that uh, is expected. Um, I, 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 I'm saying this as I say uh, expected in the sequels, but uh, one thing that did get announced in the last uh, two weeks while we were gone was that officially there is a sequel coming. I mean, I don't think any there was any doubt that there was going to be a sequel, but Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson will in fact be returning for the sequel. Um, CinemaCon was happening and Warner Brothers was promoting a bunch of things. One of the first things that was part of the Warner Brothers presentation was Warner Brothers 
having Matt Reeves say that he's coming back with his crew to do the you know to do another film and he's already working on story ideas for this for the film and that's great and some of the stuff that is actually in this book that was not uh, explicitly focused on or featured could end up in future future uh, sequels for the the franchise um, there's a lot of really good stuff the immediate thing I want to uh, just talk about is I think a lot of people I should say this books like this I absolutely love um, there isn't a movie a big blockbuster Batman film that has released in probably the last uh, I'm, uh, maybe not 20 years because I don't think they had one for Batman Begins but I'm pretty sure there was one for The Dark Knight but I know that there was one for The Dark Knight Rises there was one for Justice League. There was one for Batman v Superman, and even Lego Batman had one of a book similar to this. Not exactly the exact same thing, but it's a one that looks at the behind the scenes of like the production and the ideas of the filmmakers, and kind of gives a great great idea of what could have been or other ideas that maybe didn't come to fruition or we didn't see on screen but are still existing. Um, Per, uh, personally, the one that I really, really enjoyed because I'm also a Lego nut is the Lego Batman book that was very similar to this because there was all kinds of other concepts of other bat suits and other designs and other villains they contemplated using and things like that to show up because there were so many characters and so many villains and so many bat suits that appeared. They even had more ideas that had yet to appear in, in the film that were in the book itself and it was really cool to see. So, this these these types of books are always really interesting for me because I like getting a sense of how things came to be, what the inspirations were for them, and like some of that stuff gets discussed in interviews, but it's almost impossible to go through every single interview. The main special features that release with the DVD, you'll see some of the concept art, you'll see you'll have the the filmmakers talking about some of the aspects of how things came to be, but you don't necessarily go as in depth as like a a, a specific project like this the the book the art of the batman so the amount of production design and concept art and all of that this does a great job of like letting fans know how much work actually goes into this more so than what you see on screen so that's one of the things i absolutely love about books like this and this book is no different there's tons and tons of double page spreads of concept art um, of like gotham city as a whole and what they imagined it as and you know the bat cave and wayne tower and like even sequences from the films that are almost like storyboards showcasing things that are obviously going to happen not just like here's wayne tower but there's a double page spread of wayne tower after the explosion when riddler sends the bomb to bruce wayne there's it's amazing how much work goes into it and honestly the artists that developed this art they're kind of unsung heroes in a lot of ways because we know this happens on a variety of films. It's not just superhero films and they, they don't necessarily get a lot of, uh, not necessarily credit because obviously there is credit in the film and things like that. And they are associated with the project, but I think a lot of their stuff, a lot of people don't see. So first off, 
I strongly recommend anybody picking this up. Uh, definitely, if you want to know more about the behind the scenes of the Batman, definitely take a look at it. Um, if you're interested in purchasing it, we do have an affiliate link in the uh, episode description. Please take a second to do that because not only will you be able to purchase the book, but you'll also be able to support us at the same time with any without any ad- added um cost to you at all so please do that if you're interested and if you're not interested hopefully by the end of our discussion here you will we will make you interested because there's a lot of really cool things here so um i am going to pass it over to scott he conveniently put together a list of a bunch of really cool facts that he found while he was reading the book and uh i'm going to chime in with some of them and i've got some of them but he did a great job of like putting together this massive list of uh, really cool facts from the book. And then we'll talk about those facts. We'll talk about some other stuff. But actually, before I pass it over, I, I mean, I know you guys enjoyed the book, but specifically, what about the book? It could even be the same thing, obviously, that I just said, but what about the book did you guys really enjoy? Like you said, how the level of thought that goes into um, a movie like this, like you really don't Right, think about it until you get a book like this where you see every little detail comes through. I remember I read one part, um, the producers said or something that nothing in this film happens by accident, like everything has a story. That really, one part that really kind of blew my mind was how even Falcone's, uh, or Falcone's pool table, like they really went like in depth on like the felt and like what his pool, uh, his cues would look like and. Everything just about that room, like you think, like oh, it's a, it's just a pool table. She so had a random green pool table from some bar somewhere. No, they went like really thought about it and like how the light would affect it from Gotham and things like that. So that really kind of blew my mind. Yeah, I'd say it's 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 interesting. I guess the thing that kind of struck me was like it's how detailed it is, obviously, but like. You know, when you watch the movie, you see like a lot of like the, you know, 70s crime noir inspirations that like Matt Reeves has talked about in reviews. And, you know, we've talked about before, but like that, you know, the more like you read throughout this book, the more you realize how married that is to like um, pushing the limits of like how we make movies and like what ways, you know, we approach the movie making process or not we, but I guess, you know, the production team, you know, not Matt Reeves, you know, the production uh, designer, James Finland, you know, their costume designer, everybody, you know, how they, you know, are reanalyzing and reapproaching and finding new ways to like really bring this vision to the forefront. It's kind of neat to see both like the past and in a way like the future kind of represented in one book, you know, and kind of told in uh, more or less straightforward, you know, manner with a lot of nice, cool-looking art. Yeah, there's a lot of amazing art. But one of the things that you have to dive into the book to actually get is these amazing facts that you'll learn from reading the book and things that have come that, that honestly a lot of these these uh these facts that you have gathered up here for us to discuss a lot of them are not items that I've seen mentioned anywhere else um not in interviews not in um the making of videos and things like that some of these are amazingly out there as how could we not have learned about these sooner kind of situation and so let's dive into some of those Okay, so the first one, you know, I think they mentioned it pretty early on in the book. Actually, my list is 
as I was reading it. So it kind of goes chronologically through the book, but, um, they mentioned that, you know, obviously there's a lot of inspirations, you know, for this movie, you know, the year one has been referenced, you know, um, the long Halloween, you know, a zero year, you could see president there, but, um, I guess Matt Reeves, when he was, um, at USC, his screenwriting teacher was actually Jeff Loeb. Famously of Batman long Halloween, as well as a number of other titles, Dark Victory, Batman vs. Superman, um, the 2005, 2003, 2005, somewhere around there, uh, series. Um, but he's also more recently been associated with Marvel Television. He's no longer there anymore, but he was working with Marvel for the Marvel Television projects, uh, the Netflix stuff, as well as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a bunch of other things, too, so... That is something that I was completely unaware of before the book actually came up, and it's really cool that that just happens to be the case. Because, I mean, USC is a extremely famous school for a lot of directors who end up becoming very big, but Jeff Loeb is not necessarily in the same caliber as you know some of the alumni that have come out of there that uh, are more well known as far as filmmakers go. So it is really cool to know that that just happens to be there there happens to be that you know kind of backroom Batman connection between the two. And they wanted to um and Reeves wanted to tell a detective story for, like from the get-go and Loeb wrote some of like the best like mystery detective stories in Batman's history with like Long Halloween, Dark Victory, Hush, like those are some of the some of the best Batman stories out there. And hope, and maybe we can hope. You know, like we've talked about it before, but like Hush as a villain, you know, yeah. an upcoming sequel. You know, knowing that connection, maybe that further, you know, wills that into existence in a exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing I had here. This is just something that I noticed throughout the book. Um, but Reeves is. It's not always this word. It's a roundabout way, but multiple people they quote and talk to on the set of the movie basically describe Reeves not as perfectionist, but just very meticulous. You know, he's everything's, you know, thought out, you know, very far in advance and plotted out. And he really gets down into the minute, you know, details of, you know, not just the setting, but, you know, as I think the production designer Chinlin says later, like the sense of space, you know, around them for like the sets they're constructing and how the camera's going to work. And, um, I thought that was interesting, and I think feel like that's probably noticeable. Like when you look around, you know, just at any shot in the movie, you know, the scenery, just how put together, and you know, how someone must have thought over, you know, the background and you know the lighting and this and that, you know, the whole vibe. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I I'm not surprised by that, and it actually goes back to that comment that BJ made earlier about how there's no accident for anything in this in you know in the film. Everything has a, a reason for being what it is, and it speaks to not only Reeves being meticulous, but also just the people that he surrounds himself with. The people that he surrounds himself with are people who are also very meticulous and also very. They have, a, they have a reason for doing things the way they're doing. It's not just we're throwing this in there for the sake of it. You know, I don't know how many superhero films we've seen over the years, not necessarily just DC films, but Marvel films, that, you know, there's, there's these connections that you hear about 
after the film came out. James Gunn famously put in things in Guardians of the Galaxy that were hinting or like super, super hidden Easter eggs. And when people eventually found out that they were there or figured out that they were there, you know, there was still stuff, I think, years after the film originally came out that still had yet to be found because he purposely was putting stuff in the film. Now, not in necessarily in the same vein as like Easter eggs and things like that, but the fact that like they're thinking about, you know, how would this building look like during the sunset or when the sun is rising or how is this going to look when Batman's standing as the, you know, Gotham is basically in despair, you know, is why is he covered in mud? I mean, obviously he's in water, you know, at the end of the film and he's, you know, getting people out and, and saving people and things like that but you know that mud and all of that it's just it's really interesting to see that there is literally a reason for everything as you put earlier bj with the book so moving on uh let's you know the a big part of like the beginning you know section of the book um is obviously the bat suit design and the utility belt um i thought it was this was kind of a confirmation. I kind of suspected this, but, um, you know, they, they kind of, they confirmed in the book that the bat suit was inspired by, um, Lee Bermejo's covers for, or work for Batman Damned, you know, and then they also took inspiration from a, a Russian pressure suit, which, you know, is something, the idea behind that being, you know, everything that they put into the suits and the costumes for all the characters has some kind of real world, equivalent that they were inspired by whether it's a military or police type of you know garb yeah that was really cool to see um another comment you made that i'll just bring up now is the importance of seeing the stitching on the bat suit um and using leather instead of rubber for the realism it's it's interesting obviously the reason why the stitching's there is because as we all know bruce is making this stuff himself he's not having this stuff you know, custom made by somebody overseas and having it flown into him or anything like that. He's, he's creating everything himself. And the fact that, uh, there's some real, real world inspiration outside of just, you know, some art from a, a comic artist who's doing a comic book. The real world inspiration is cool to see because, um, I think it was the dark night when they adjusted the bat suit and moved into the other one. It was supposed to be more of like a tactical suit. Um, that's why it was kind of like pieces rather than it being one consistent piece. Like we saw in Batman begins, it has that real world feel like it's for climbing and, and that kind of stuff. And it makes sense. And there's, there's real world inspiration behind it. Not necessarily as, 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 uh, blatant as the way they described it in the Dark Knight trilogy when Lucius is basically saying like, oh yes, here's a grapple gun. It's for Spurlunky and of course it is because that's what you're looking for. Like, no, they're not going that route, but the design itself has this real world connection with the Russian pressure suit. It's really cool to see and that like attention to detail about just making sure everything appears as if there is a single person creating it, putting this stuff together to use it on his war on crime is really cool. Yeah, just to piggyback on that, like um, the book made to note that uh, like, yeah, like he stitched the bat suit together. He's building it all himself and same with the Batmobile, how the Batmobile, is all pieced together similar to his bat suit like he's just making this picking up stuff as he goes along and combining it into one super weapon car and suit and everything and i thought it was cool like with the batmobile you know and in relation to the suit is that they do call it out 
like when they get to the Batmobile section, like when you look at it like top down, you know, you're so you're supposed to be able to see motifs of like his handmade mask like in the shape of the car and that like the car, you know, just like the suit has the stitching, yeah, the car carries that handiwork of yeah, like like you just put a BJ like just like this one guy like making it all himself, you know. It's awesome. Uh, one of the things that I enjoyed the most about the book, and I know you've got a couple of points on here for it, is the amount of gadgets that they came up with. Um, there's an extensive amount of gadgets. Some you see but are never used, like the little uh, throwing darts that are on his gauntlets. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff. And there's stuff that's, has, that will, I'm sure, eventually get used in future films or There'll be other things that'll take its place or whatever, but some of the uniqueness of some of the gadgets is just amazing. Um, specifically, I know you mentioned the sticky bomb gun. Uh, of course, when I think of sticky bomb gun, I immediately think of uh, the Dark Knight when he has that gun that like shoots the sticky thing because it actually like sticks to the glass before it blows. Um, but in this, it's very different. Yeah, it the. The schematics too, like the, I don't know the way it works, the way it, it looks, the kind of design. It. My first thought was the Arkham games, but I just I love that like there's such a level of detail where you can look like all these things have schematics and they each have like their own page or two devoted like just to them, like each individual item, and it's just it's kind of neat because it there's notes on how it's supposed to operate, and how it's supposed to look like with the sticky bomb gun, like. You know, I think Batman's supposed to be able to use those with or without the gun, depending on like the application. Yeah. Um, the one um, gadget I want him to uh, use is the. Um, it's like a almost kind of like Daredevil's like Billy Club, but he can turn it into like a nunchuck. I'd love to see him, Batman, wheel around some nunchucks like he's uh, like he's a Ninja Turtle for a couple and those are, in fact, in the books. So if you're wanting to see what Batman could look like if uh, he had some nunchucks, uh, check out the book. Um, see it. Give me that in the sequel. Yes. Um, yeah. One of the things that you brought up in your comments was the adrenaline shot. And we've talked about this specifically because of the specific nature of the color of the chemical that's in it. Now, in the book, it doesn't reference Venom or Bane or anything like that. Um it doesn't say anything about it being venom. It specifically says it's adrenaline, so I kind of guess to a degree that squashes it. But there has to be a reason why it's green. I mean, in, in, in some way, there, there has to be a reason it's green because I don't know that I've ever seen adrenaline as green. So I'll just live on my, my mountain of believing that it could potentially be venom in some alternate world. Um, but... But like you said in your your notes, it's based on actual police gear of an adrenaline shot. Um, and I've seen this idea in some other projects, nothing that I can specifically name off the top of my heads, but I off my head, but I've seen this type of project in something else before where you just give yourself a shot in the leg and it immediately you know gives you a boost of adrenaline. So it's not that it's a new idea necessarily. But it's something that is obviously based off of something in the real world, but also something that we've seen in other action films as well. Yeah. Um, something else I wanted to jump into, too, because, you know, it's obviously everything kind of ties back into the level of detail. But um, 
Wayne Tower's design, I know that's something we've talked about, you know, in previous episodes where, you know, it, it looks very ornate and it's very decadent and it almost feels like otherworldly, like a castle or something. But it was interesting because the notes they had on it was that, you know, they wanted to make it look like it was something that was made maybe around like 1920, you know, somewhere in there. And the way it looks is supposed to be kind of representative of like Bruce's mind. And so, you know, the night, you know, the wings are murdered, you know, there's, it starts to fall into this set of state of decay and detritus. And it's just kind of slowly crumbling because, you know, Bruce isn't caring for it. It's supposed to, you know, represent his mind, obviously, but it was interesting on that note too, you know, um, Matt Reeves referenced uh, a documentary called Grey Gardens, which is, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's basically, it's like a mother daughter. They're like the, they're, it's like they're, they're famous too. I can't remember what family they belong to, but, um, they're living in this house and they're the last of like their family and they're just kind of, you know, withering away in this house and everything's falling into this state of disrepair and it's kind of like sad and depressing it was actually even famously um they made a mockumentary of it for the documentary now show bill Hader and uh, fred armison work on where the i think it's the first episode where they do gray gardens but it's interesting that he took inspiration from that and you know if you look at like the house and the state of repair in that documentary you look at kind of wing tower again you could see you know where Matt Reeves got that inspiration a little bit. You know, this idea that, you know, Bruce, in a sense, mentally at least, is kind of, you know, his personality is maybe withered away, you know, in this tower along with the walls and, you know, the lack of light and everything. Yeah, that uh, Grey Gardens documentary, I've never seen it, but uh, just looking up the description of the film, it says it uh, explores the daily lives of two aging Eccentric relatives of Jackie Kennedy, uh, the uh, Eddie Bo- or Edie Bovier Beale and her mother Edith are the sole inhabitants of a Long Island estate. During the course of the documentary, they discuss their habits, desires, and former loves with filmmakers Albert and David Maysells. The women reveal themselves to be misfits with outsized engaging pers- outsized engaging personalities. Much of the conversation is centered on their past, as mother and daughter now rarely leave home. Uh, so that is obviously the connection of Bruce Wayne never leaving home, except for when he's in his alter ego. I talked about in the book too how like he really could care less about his wealth, and that the look of the manor and the tower reflect on that. Like he really just doesn't. He's locked away Bruce Wayne, and he's just Batman twenty four seven. And then jumping over outside of the Batman stuff, um, specifically, there's a lot of talk about the various characters, Gordon, Penguin, Falcone, Catwoman, or Selina Kyle specifically, because as it's pointed out in the book itself, uh, this is not meant to be Catwoman. This is meant to be Selina with a cat tweak. It's not necessarily the fully developed version of Catwoman that we all expect to, to see which is interesting because the art that they used when talking about Catwoman specifically was Year One, and they they use Year One as 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 you mentioned earlier, Scott. They use Year One art a lot in the book. Mazzucchelli's art 
um, that is showcases the bat suit, and there's some different shots of Bruce Wayne as like the Drifter Bruce Wayne. Um, it's not obviously referred to as the Drifter Bruce Wayne, but Bruce Wayne dressed down so that way he can blend in with, um, you know, blend in amongst the the normal citizens of Gotham, um, which we see translated into Drifter Bruce Wayne in the film itself. But Catwoman, there the art they show, you can tell that like. They were really pulling from that. Uh, the fact that she has the short hair, just like in year one, um, she wears wigs and things like that. It's something that is not not seen in as many stories outside of year one. Not that it doesn't get seen, but it's very it's very prevalent inside the pages of year one. Um, there's a couple of shots of Long Halloween during her chapter, uh, but specifically, they're talking about how this is a Catwoman who is yet to be fully realized. And I, I think that's 100% true because outside of a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a hint here or there, there's not, it's, she's not blatantly walking around as Catwoman or being even called Catwoman. Um, you know, they reference her liking cats. She's kind of, you know, she's obviously like a cat burglar when we first meet her, but she's not Catwoman. And it'll be interesting to see because I wonder if, she will return for the sequel. I, I mean, I hope she does, especially with the chemistry. I don't really want them to go to a route of like finding a new female uh, character to pair Bruce Wayne with in every film like we've seen in so many other versions of Batman. And I'd rather them stick to somebody who they can develop over the course of films alongside Bruce Wayne rather than having to quickly change out the characters from film to film. But... Needless to say, if this was the intent to introduce the character so that she can be developed into a character like Catwoman later, I'm all in. Yeah, it makes sense because, you know, I mean, obviously, like, the the movie itself really is about, is kind of an origin story for Batman. Like, his whole journey about learning to move away from the vengeance and be more of a hero, it makes sense that, you know, in turn, the other major players are kind of on a similar origin story journey journey on their own and so yeah like catwoman you know it's proto catwoman and then you know they even mentioned penguin you know it's also kind of like a proto penguin story that in itself too where it's just he's on his journey to becoming the penguin that everybody kind of knows and expects from the comics you know as well so i guess it's kind of fitting though in the sense that like they're all three of those three principal ones are just you know in the same place kind of you know, growing apart or together, I guess, in Batman and Catwoman's, you know, situation while developing who they're ultimately going to be. It's actually, in a way, it's almost like that Gotham show, like, realized as a much more contrite and uh, concise and well-put-together movie. <laughs> I see that face. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely making a face because... Uh... I think that's one of the only situations you could probably compare this film to Gotham in a way where they took some characters that uh, they they could have developed and instead they developed them a different way. But this is the good way in this film. So, yes, <laughs> I'm like, oh, OK, uh, we, we, if we were playing a drinking game, the connections from the Batman to Gotham would be like a mega pint. <laughs> 
one thing I liked, um, like each character, like when they had their like their own chapter, like they each kind of got a chapter title. And so for Catwoman's, it was the title was Retribution. It kind of like was about her kind of going after like what she deserves and what kind of, what Gotham owes her. Since like he's Falcone's daughter, but she's living in like the red light district, like with a bunch of cats and kind of making ends meet, but and. While her father is rich and living it up in the in a big tower, and then maybe now her journey's been more like where she's gonna become that cat burglar, where she's stealing from the rich to uh, to help herself. Yeah, no, it it you're right though in that um, all the that's the one thing I forgot to put down in my notes is like all the the chapter headings for the characters all had like I think Gordon's was on her. Um, I can't remember what Penguins was, but um, they all yeah. I Falcone with power. Okay, they got the. It was it was interesting though because then obviously like the characters are themed that way and that's you know obviously all those things they play around with in the movie. Um, and speaking on Falcone, you know one of the things I really like keyed into on um, his character really was about the setting. You know when they start talking about that, um, his loft. You know, is above the tri-corner bridge, um, and I noticed that, like, you know, when you're watching the movie, that in the background, like, of the window, there's like a the way the the bridge looks outside the window is it's shaped um, like a keyhole, you know, and obviously that was, you know, intentional, and you know, in the book, further elaborates on that, and that it's you know, it's basically, you know, symbolic of Falcone's control of the city, you know, and that, you know, he's basically the owner of everything. The, the mayor, as, um, you know, some of the people confess that Falcone is. Yeah. One of the, uh, past the, the characters themselves, there's a chapter about uh, Gotham City. And I thought it was interesting looking at some of these shots, how insanely close some of these concept arts ended up being like some of the bigger shots specifically um, looking at like the shots of like the Times Square kind of area of Gotham, the cityscape, the bridges, those like, you know, the, the big far out shots of like lots of Gotham. Those are concept art, but at the same time, they ended up making that into what we see on film. And it's not necessarily, you know, fake it's you know there is this real world element to a lot of these places that we end up seeing on screen but the fact that like the script details what's there the script then enhances whatever the concept artists are doing and then it transitions into this amazing thing that we see on screen it's it's kind of crazy to know that like one, you have to have some amazing uh, location scouts who are finding these these places that are almost like bringing the script to life. And then obviously there's enhancements that they have to do to certain locations to make them work for what it is. But it's to me, it's just absolutely crazy that, that you know that there's people out there who can literally just be like, oh, you need a place that kind of looks like Times Square but doesn't look anything like Times Square. Um, that has old cobble roads and things like that, and they just happen to like stumble across. Not stumble, obviously. They they've known they know about these places, but like they're just so good at their job. They're like, yeah, of course, we'll go to Scotland because we've got something exactly like that. It's like, 
like that's that the level of work that has to go into like knowing what places are going to work for what they're trying to accomplish is just amazing take some pride in knowing that some of those uh, exterior locations were chicago based yep you know i know like it had mentioned part of gotham square garden was the thompson center downtown yep but the, 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 bring up the last thing that you saw about the VR because it kind of falls into line with some of this stuff and how they came up with some of the ideas of some of the, the, the actual locations and areas that they were eventually filming in. So, and this is kind of like goes back to what I said in the beginning where it was kind of neat to see like the um, classic uh, crime thriller inspirations and like innovative like filmmaking in the sense that there's like, yeah, near the end of the book, like they really lean into, you know, how they um, put this movie together and they talk about like VR and, 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 you know, what it sounded like is they created, you know, their cityscapes and their sets and the scenery in VR first. And, you know, it, it, you know, I think it was the production designer that said it, but um, it gave like, you know, Matt Reeves, um, a way to like get inside the space and envision it and play around with like where he would want to put the camera and how he'd want movement to work. And there's a lot of like in the book, there's a lot of like side by side comparisons of like screenshots and stills from the VR paired against like the actual shots from the film. And you could like, like the diner scene is in there. Um, and there's some other ones too, where you could see, you know, side by side of what it looked like in VR, or what they were thinking and um you know what the end the film ended up looking like and it's kind of you know to me i thought this was like you know fascinating because i've never really heard about like filmmaking in this way before where you know they're literally are like constructing something and putting on a headset and you know can really almost storyboard your entire movie down to like the tiny details ahead of time and then you know the production designer mentions that you know, he used these things to basically create very precise sets, you know, something more accurate to what they wanted and what they were going to use the space for. Yeah. Matt Reeves, he makes a comment in the book about how the VR, even after they created all of the physical sets, he would actually still go in and use the VR to actually come up with ways of how he would do shots rather, you know, before that. And I feel like if this is something newer and I can't speak to every movie that's been made or whether or not something like this has been used in other films. I only know what's I'm reading here for this film and how this is something unique for this production. But if this is something that is actually being used, this would be something that I could see really blowing up, especially in the post-COVID world that we live in. Because if you're trying to figure out how to minimize the amount of people together at one time coming up with your shots ahead of time, coming up with ways to like figure out exactly how to go about doing things to minimize the time on set for certain people or to a degree, even minimizing the time on set for some of the actors who are extremely, you know, who are handsomely rewarded with pay. You can keep them off set as much as you can by figuring out exactly what you're going to do and then bringing them in specifically to do what they need to do. And then that's it. Um, it's a really cool process. And he specifically says that he, he describes it as running the game engine. And I think to myself, if this is something that they're creating, if they're legitimately creating an entire world from scratch, 
to do, you know, to be able to use this for the purpose of this, how, how easy is it to like enhance the animation and turn it into a game in the future? I feel like that's, that's almost like something that, you know, not, not now, but in the future, if like this technology really picks up, this could, this could, I mean, they're, they're spending money on one way or the other. If they spend a little bit more money to make it into a game, I mean, you could really have some really dual projects coming out very easily from a lot of these productions. It's funny too, like the for the VR, like it makes sense how one of the examples where like the end of the the big Batmobile chase where they show like the VR stills and the um, in the real shots, and it's funny how the other example is the coffee uh, diner scene where they show him busting up the Riddler and they showed the little video game Riddler zooming in on the coffee cups. So it's just funny how even a small scene like that they use VR. Yeah, it's 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 really amazing. Um, there's so much more that we can and could talk about with this book, but obviously we would strongly suggest that you pick up the book yourselves because it is a really, really great book, especially for fans who really enjoyed the film and want to learn more about stuff that's, um, you know, how things came to be when it came to creating this film that we all enjoyed. So again, I'm just going to plug it one more time. If you're interested in purchasing it, please check out the affiliate link in the description of the, the episode. Um, again, that does support us. doesn't cost you anything. It just You just got to click it, and it'll take you straight to Amazon so you can purchase it. Um, it's a great book. Um, we all enjoy it, uh, and as I mentioned before, this wasn't this wasn't uh, given to us for review purposes. We we paid money for all of these books. Each one of us have the book. We paid for it, and we're we're just here to discuss it because it's got some amazing stuff in it that uh, we wanted to talk about and share in relation to the film itself. So with all of that being said, that's going to wrap up this episode. Um, be sure to check out our website, thebatmanverse.net, for all kinds of news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, comics, and everything else related to the Batman universe, including original content and reviews. Um, we also have a number of podcasts outside of this podcast that you can check out, including one that focuses solely on the comics and other ones that focus on various characters like Tim Drake's Robin and uh, Batgirl slash Oracle, Barbara Gordon. Um, and there's plenty of other projects that you can take a look at as well over on our site. Um, outside of that, if you are interested in following us on social media, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Discord. Uh, you can find social links, all of our social links over on the top of our website. You can also find on our website a way for different ways for you guys to support us, including Patreon. Uh, if you are a Patreon supporter at the middle tier, you do get access to these episodes earlier than everybody else, and they are unedited. Um, and then the edited versions typically come out a couple days after the actual uh, at, at, from the time we actually record, I typically try to release these literally within hours of us actually recording it. So you get those early. So that is something to consider if you are interested in that as well. Um, outside of that, um, we do have, like I said, a couple of episodes planned for the month, but we are looking for some ideas of things you guys would like us to talk about. Um, so if you are interested in giving us ideas, you can leave comments on YouTube or on the website, or you can shoot us an email at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net with any topics or things you'd like us to research or discuss. 
and it doesn't necessarily have to be something about the Batman, even though we have been talking about the Batman obviously a lot recently. There's plenty of other things that uh, are part of the Batman universe. If there's something recently, I know um, as we're recording this, there's some stuff that's supposed to be releasing for Gotham Knights uh, tomorrow morning. So uh, maybe on the next episode, we'll be talking about that, depending on what exactly is released. There's stuff always happening in the comic side of things um, that we could always talk about. So if there's things that you guys would like to hear our opinions on, be sure to let us know. With all of that being said, for BJ Scott and myself, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the TBU Podcast. We will see you guys next time.